Good evening. Nicely done. Proper response. You can turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to go. I know it's a step out of Matthew, so thank you for that grace. This is a passage that I prepared, uh, and we did an equip a couple months ago, maybe a month and a half ago or so. Uh, and it meant a lot to my heart just thinking about what, how do I live before the Lord faithfully. And so Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be talking about verses 16 through 19. 16 through 19 is where we're going. Well, 16 through 18. We'll look at 19 here, but 16 through 18. This is called, if you like to take notes, I call it living by the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. Living by the Holy Spirit, not the flesh. For those of you that don't, don't know me, I just introduce myself. My name is Drew Michael. I'm one of the elders at Northlake. I'm over small groups, and occasionally Alejandro lets me in here to talk with you all. So I appreciate those opportunities. Uh, I just live over in Harvest. So across the street from Danny, down the street from McCullough's. So uh, familiar faces here. I, I want to have your brains catch an idea as we get started, and this idea is, I want you to think about, have you ever had an experience where you know what to do, but you don't know how to do it? You know what you should do, or what needs to happen, but you don't know how to do it. I'll give you a couple examples. Someday you'll need to learn this. Some of you might be closer than others by age. Changing of the tire. Have you ever been in an experience where a tire needed to be changed? You know that the tire has to come off the car, and that the tire, a new tire comes from somewhere hidden around the car, and then gets put back on, and you can keep going. Has anybody ever seen that happen? Yeah, okay, yeah, you've seen it. Has anybody ever done it, minus the adults? Yeah, you're adults, you have to figure it out. Okay, all right, we have some people that have done it before. Okay, that's an example. Like, hey, I know that I know the flat one needs to become a non-flat one for us to continue. Okay, right? Okay, that's an example of I know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Uh, maybe you're in, who's in pre-calculus or algebra? Your school subjects. Oh, yeah, okay, see, now we know what I'm talking about. Have the, the teacher has said, this is how you do it. They're like, that's great. I know I need to read the problem and make the answer happen. I don't know how to do it. You know, some of you, anybody, chemistry friends, I want to pursue chemistry. Yes, okay, so that kind of stuff happens in chemistry too. Stoichiometry, it's a ton of fun. You should, get, oh, just get into it, right? Uh, if you're hanging out with Mr. Mejia, and he's like, hey, let's go run forever, and we'll work out, and it'll be fun, you'll like it. I, I promise, you, you can do it. Like, all right, my mind can process the knowing how to move the legs and run forever, Keeping up with Mr. Mejia is a totally different story. I may not be able to do it. Okay, so hopefully your mind is connecting with this, I know what to do, run, try to keep up with Mr. Mejia, but maybe I can't do it. So that's where we're going today, is we're going to look at a spot in Galatians where they know what they need to do by Paul's instruction from the letter, but they're working on how to do it. If we want to see what this what is, we have to back up a section. Go to verse 13, and we'll set a little bit of context. Uh, before we read verse 13, these Gal the Galatians, does anybody remember the big deal about Galatians? Y'all were in a quip for a while on some Sundays, so you might remember, right? The, what's the big deal about Galatians? Does anybody remember? They're a people group that Paul 
So the ch- if you read the book of Acts, Paul plants that church. They get saved. And then he leaves. And then other people come. And these people are telling them that they have to do works to be saved. And the theme of Galatians is the opposite of that. Faith alone, by Christ alone, through grace alone, is how you are saved. Justification by faith alone. That's the whole big deal about Galatians. So Paul has written this letter to them that they were they received the gospel. Paul told it to them. They believed sincerely. But then some people called the Judaizers show up and they start twisting their brains around concepts, telling them lies. And they start some of them start wanting to believe it. And so Paul then writes the letter to the Galatians to correct that. That's the broad context of the letter. And so when he's done, he's written to them. They're coming out of this idea of, okay, we hear you, Paul. We don't have to do works to be saved. We don't have to works to do works to please God. It was Christ's perfect sacrifice that has pleased God on my behalf, and there's nothing that I can do or should do or need to do to make that grow at all. So where are we in the, in the Galatians letter? Uh, we'll go to verse 13, and we'll see for a little bit. Paul says, in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. So let's just stop right there. Think about the words that you just read or heard. You are free. What are they free from? They're free from the bondage of sin because they're now bound to Christ. They're free from having to obey a set of laws to try to please God because Christ has already paid for those and perfectly fulfilled them. They're free from the tradition of men. These Judaizers said, hey, if you're going to be a real Christian, it's great that you believe in Jesus and all, but you also have to practice these rules that we made up. You have to actually physically do circumcision. If you don't do these physical acts, I'm sorry, you're, you're not really in Christ. That was a lie. And you're free from all of that. That's, the, that's what Paul means by you are free, Galatians. You are called to freedom. But he gives them a warning. What does he tell them not to do in verse 13? You read and think with me. You have the capability. Do not do what? Ah, which begs the question, what on earth does Paul mean by an opportunity for the flesh? Well, keep reading. He'll answer it. He says, but through love serve one another. So if the right answer is serve one another through love, then the opportunity for the flesh is what? The opposite. What's the opposite of serving someone through love? Think opposites. Opposite of serve someone is to be selfish. And the opposite of loving someone is to hate. We did it. Look at y'all. You're crushing this. Okay, you you seem doubtful, but I I guarantee you, you have the capability to do this. Trying to get just the small expression. Just, okay. Um, Do you have this opportunity for the flesh? You love one another. You serve one another. And Jesus, uh, uh, Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and this, and this one command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, But what you are doing, or this temptation you have, is if you you bite and devour one another, beware that you're not consumed by one another. They had, what was going on is they're free in this. They're, They're free in Christ now. Like, well, what do we do with ourselves? I'm free. What, how am I supposed to live? What is it? And they have all the influence of the world. And what was happening? As opposed to doing what Paul had just said to do, is serving and loving them, their neighbor, they're turning against one another, and they're starting to bite and fight and devour one another. Relationships that you're not supposed to have. Ways you're not supposed to relate to one another. And that's what they were tempted to do. So what were they tempted to do? 
tempted to do, one thing was they're like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I guess if I'm in Christ and I'm free, then I can live however I want to live. We call that license. They were going to take full license to live however they wanted. That's not what Paul is correct. Is, is, is we'll see in our text what he says to do. Right? Another one is, is they're tempted to even to stay with legalism, which is that I'm going to follow a rule made by man and turn it into a way to please God. Somehow I'm going to please God by living and doing a certain thing. When Christ has fully pleased God on your behalf, you're going to do that. They were tempted to both of those ideas, license and legalism. So tonight, because of their temptation, Paul's going to do three things. He's going to set three, commi- three, three realities out there. The first reality is, is reality. There's a command of how you're supposed to live. You're going to see that in verse 16. And then he's going to, there's a reality of a conflict. That's the second reality. You're going to see that in verse 17. And then the third reality is in verse 18. And it's the reality of there's reassurance, there's hope. So we're going to see all three of those tonight. If you would, go to verse 16. We'll read our text tonight. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you do not do the things that you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So let's go to verse 16. Let's take it apart. What does verse 16 say? It starts with, but I say. If you're in normal English class, right, you're working a normal life, someone says, hey, don't do this, but do this. Do you see the contrast? He's making a big contrast, right? Go back a verse. What did it say in verse 15 they were doing to each other? Mm, Does that sound like relationships following command of I love you? I love you so much, I'm going to bite you and devour you. Does that at all make any sense? Nice try. No. I saw the smile and the sarcasm. It was funny. No. It doesn't make any sense that they would do that. So he says, but instead of living like that, but I say do something different. And that's where we walk into our command. But he says, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Let's take that apart. Walk by the Spirit. What is that? The word walk is a continuous command. We can think walk. Walk in Scripture, though, reminds us that this is your general habit of living. Your general practice, what you do day in and day out, just like when you get up and you walk to the bus stop or you walk to school or you walk to anywhere in your house, you don't think about it. It's just what you do. You, you're, you think, I need to go to the kitchen to eat breakfast, and what happens? Your feet move. You are walking. What is your unconscious set of habits that you perform? That's what Scripture is talking about when it says walking. So it says walk how? Walk by the Spirit. Okay, so now we have direction. Now we have a command. Uh, I have a question for you, maybe just to see this, so you think how to walk very clearly. Has anybody ever gone camping or hiking? Yeah, lots of it. Okay, what are some of the things you need to know if you're going to go camping or hiking? Yes. How to set up a tent. Do, you need, do I need structure, right? Uh, do I need a plate? Am I staying overnight? Do I, need a, do I need a tent? How do I set up a tent? Great, what else? Bug spray. How do I react to the bugs? What are the bugs going to be like? Yes. Water, because God made me to need water. I should bring water, or else it's going to be a terrible trip. Yes, of course. Fox. Mm, think about the dangers that might be out there. Okay, so it's, now we're on a journey. Now we see, am I staying overnight? Are there going to be bugs? Do I need provision and supplies? Yes. 
hmm, do I, am I going to need to make a fire safely? Not, not, yes, your dad knows, yeah. So, um, but uh, safely, and then, yes. Okay, maybe if there's a camp, bring the right provision of food for the right occasion, right? Um, so, okay, all right, you nailed that. What you need to know is, how long am I going to be gone? Where am I going? What supplies will I need? Okay, clothes, candy, maybe, maybe not. I'm a big fan of candy, so sure, bring candy. Um, we know those things now. So you've been given the command to walk by the Spirit. That is a lifelong journey. The question is, what supplies do I need to do that? Because that's what we have to define by the Spirit. What does this mean, by the Spirit? Paul is telling them to, referring to, you have to be walking by the Holy Spirit, is who he's referring to. The Holy Spirit is who? Ooh, theology class just hit you. Who is the Holy Spirit? Yes. The third person of the Godhead. That's who, right? So he is God. He's not an it. He's not a the, right? We say the Holy Spirit, but he's he. He's God. He's God in spirit form. That's who he is. What are some of the things that he has done? Yes. John chapter 16. Someone was listening to Dusty a Sunday ago. Okay, nice. Yes. He convicts man of sin. Right? Did you know he was there at creation? He was there. You could say, well, Drew, I know that God is everywhere. You can't trick me like that. So, yes, fair enough. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But he was there, he was there at creation. He's also the inspirer of Scripture. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He does amazing things in your life. Not just all men's lives or all people's lives by convicting them of sin. But he also does work with them as they depend on him, but also in the, in the process of salvation, right? For someone to partake of the Holy Spirit, for someone to have an experience with God, there's only one way to have that happen. And we have to pause here and really be clear about that. The way that happens is only through the gospel. Jesus Christ, for he was on earth, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me, from John 14 and 6. And we know that to be saved, I need to repent of my sins and place my faith only in Christ. Why? Because John 14, 6. He's the only one that I can place my faith in to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of my sin. Romans 3.23 says, anybody? For all have sinned and fall short of the... So we've all sinned. Does the word all in that verse... Does that encompass all? Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. That means you have sinned and fallen short of the standard that God has set. In Matthew 5, 48, he says that standard is perfection. And we've missed it. And because of that, the human race has a sin problem. But Christ came to live a perfect life and to make a great exchange for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, if you want to write that down and look at it. He says that. He, God says he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, who didn't know sin, what? To be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God on Him. Jesus paid for our sin debt. So when we place our faith in Him, the great exchange happens. He takes the penalty of our sin and pays it once and for all so we can have a relationship with God. And He gives us His righteousness so that God sees us. He doesn't see you in your sin. He sees Christ's blood and perfect blood and sacrifice and His righteousness. At that point is one of the most amazing things that happens with the Holy Spirit. He regenerates you. He gives you a new heart. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, you were dead in your sins. 
In chapter Titus, in, cha- in, in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit. He regenerates you. He renews you and gives you a new heart. Not only that, but He baptizes you into the body of Christ. Because He indwells in you and lives in you, you are now part of the universal body of Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And one of my favorite things that he does is he seals you. Out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. What does he do? He seals you with promise. It means you can never be let go. There's so much hope and so much assurance there. That's why we walk by the Holy Spirit. Because he lives inside of you. If you repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And because he does amazing things. I want to list a couple things he does for you post-salvation. After your salvation. This new, I don't know if you know, do you, is this new information to y'all, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what he does for you, seals you and dwells you, regenerates you, gives you a new heart? Maybe yes, maybe no, because you didn't answer the question what he does earlier, so I was really curious. All right, so uh, let's talk about then what he does post-salvation. You're now saved, he lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. What is he doing in there? Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And find verse 10. Who's found that? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. William, go ahead, buddy. What does that say? The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So that means the Spirit knows everything that God knows. Did you all pick that up? Holy Spirit is God. He knows everything that God knows. I'll keep going in verse 11. Thank you, William. It says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Right? No one knows your thoughts except you best, right? You guys get that? Only you know what's going on in here. God knows. Only you and God knows what's going on in there. You can tell people stuff, but only you really know what's going on in there. Same thing with man. Same thing with God. Look at verse 12. Or to the end of verse 11. It says, Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Verse 12. It's awesome. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but we received the Spirit who is from God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Have you ever wondered, what does God want me to know about what to do in any situation? You find yourself, what, what am I supposed to do here? How am I supposed to live? What decision am I supposed to make? Have you ever wondered that kind of stuff? Now I know everything. Don't worry. I got it. Maybe that's not true. You should start wondering, what should I do? The awesome part is, though, is you should realize that God has given you the Holy Spirit. I have the mind of Christ living inside of me. And he illuminates my mind to understand his scripture. Which is why we have God's word, so that we can know it. Another thing he does is he fills you and empowers you. Bless you. You're not alone. 
He fills you up. If you depend on Him, He fills you up with the ability to obey. The ability to follow God. The ability to not only understand what God says you should do by reading His Word, but also the ability to do it. So if you ever wonder, if you ever feel stuck, if you ever feel hopeless, you don't have to. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And He produces fruit inside of us. If you go back to Galatians chapter 5, you can see the effects that He has. If we follow Him, if we live by Him, if we walk by Him, you may have this memorized, you may not, but you go back to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and you see what your life will look like. The fruit of the Spirit, of walking by Him, is love. The very thing the Galatians were tempted not to do. Remember, they were biting and devouring. The Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. When you see that happening, you know you're walking by the Holy Spirit. If you see that not happening, you know the opposite is true. You, you are not walking by the Holy Spirit, but instead, what does the rest of verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5 say? Someone look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Another, someone else going, you're giving too many easy passes. He's in that back corner over there. You've been, you've been great. I'm gonna, one of y'all, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, after walk by the Holy Spirit. What does it say? So that you don't... Yep. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Ah, what's after walk by the Spirit? You see now, you can tell if you're walking by the Spirit or not. If you're walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is real in your life. If you're not walking by the Spirit... You are carrying out the desires of the flesh. There's no middle ground. There isn't one. You're going to school. Well, are you walking by the Spirit in your classrooms with your friends, with your people at school that aren't, your, that, that aren't believers? Are you walking by the Spirit? Or are you doing what they do? There's no neutral ground. When you're at home and your parents ask you to obey, my kids are younger than y'all. So y'all already figured out. My kids don't yet. We're working on that. Right? Do you obey the first time with a cheerful attitude and honor and respect your parents? Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Well, if you do, you're walking by the Spirit. He's illumined your mind to obey and He's empowered you to do it. Praise the Lord for when that happens. If you don't, you are carrying out the desires of the flesh. So hopefully you see this balance of habits as we walk. Yes, we, we try to run. We try to go. We put forth effort. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do it and gives us the ability to do it. And that pairing is how we obey. And that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes from. So hopefully you might have this question in your brain. It's like, well, all right, how can I best make that happen? What are some methods or what are some things that Scripture tells me that this is how I can best make that happen? Or what's going on in my life if it's not happening? So let's take that apart a little bit. I'm going to pull a little bit from a few different pieces of Scripture. But one thing is you have to have the right, right relationship with God. You have to be practicing the right relationship with God. Who does sports in this room? I don't play sport ball, but some people do. Okay, great. So, uh, sports, right? You, how many times a week do you practice? Is that a six? Six times. Do I need to have more than a six? Okay, you win, Kate. Six times she's in, she's in the swimming pool practicing. All right. Anybody go two times a week to practice? All right, now that's scheduled practice. Who goes outside and plays anyway, playing the same game? All right, so now it's more. You might be Kate with that six thing, right? So 
Yes, practice. You are repeating behaviors that you're trying to get better at. How do you practice a right relationship with God? Because that's how you walk by the Spirit. One is you have the right mindset. The Lord's Prayer is a really helpful tool to start. How do I think? Ask yourself, how often do I think this? You ready? The question is, how often do I think like this? Matthew chapter 6, 9 and 10 says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you catch that? You think this way. Father, you are in heaven. Your name is holier than anything I could possibly be thinking about. Father, I want your kingdom to come. Your kingdom, right now, as soon as you can. Because that would be the best thing that could possibly happen. Father, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the right mindset. Practicing that mindset. Figuring out, how do I start each day, each moment? I just, I just got up from lunch, and I'm about to go do something. Like, oh, I was thinking about myself again. Come back to there. Father, your name is holy. I want to be like you. Father, I want everything that's happening on this earth to be your will being done, not my own, not someone else's. Father, I want your kingdom to come. That's the right mindset. If you're going to walk by the Spirit, you have to think right. If you want to walk by the Spirit, not only do you have to think right, but you have to talk to God a lot. When you talk to God, there's one word that starts with P and it ends with Ray. What is that? Pray. It's called prayer when you talk to God a lot. What are some of the things you can talk to God about in prayer? Nice summary answer. Super good. Expound on everything, though. Like the real stuff in your life. Yes. Yeah, you can pray when, when things are going hard for a family member. Of course. And you can be thankful. Thankful for things like what? Yeah. Space to have horses on, I think. Yes. Okay, yeah, I think I know that answer. Yes, you can. You can pray all the time. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. That does not mean like, hey, i got to stop eating forever and only pray without ceasing. It means that your constant pattern of life is talking to God about everything. Right? So you hear that work is hard for your parents? Pray. School just got really difficult? Pray. Your sick family member got better? Pray. You wonder what to do next? Pray. You realize that your mindset's been on you and not on God, like we saw from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6? Pray. If you want to have the right relationship with God, you want to practice that? You think rightly, and you talk to God often about it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul writes this. He says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If you're not in prayer, then you're not going to be benefiting from the intercessory act of Jesus praying on your behalf, the Spirit interceding on your behalf. You're going to miss out on that. You're not going to have the right relationship to God. It's going to be impossible to walk by the Holy Spirit. Thankfulness is one on my list. You brought that one up already. And then not hindering God's work in your life is the other one on the list. If you're going to have a right relationship with God, you're not going to do things 
that interrupts your relationship as you walk with the Lord. When you do things that interrupt your relationship with God, what might those things be called? Things that interrupt what God's doing in your life. Starts with an S. Sin is what that's called. When you choose to sin, is how you hinder God's work. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Walk by the Spirit. Don't go the opposite direction. Walk by the Spirit. So we practice the right relationship with God. The other way to walk by the Holy Spirit is you have to practice the right relationship with others. In Ephesians chapter 5, 19 to 21, Paul writes this. He says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That is walking by the Holy Spirit as opposed to biting and devouring one another like the Galatians were being tempted to do. What were they doing in Ephesians chapter 5, 19? They were speaking to one another how? Not in argument, not in anger, not in heat, but they were speaking to one another in psalms, bless you, in hymns and spiritual songs. They were making melody with their hearts to the Lord. That's unity. They were pursuing Christ together. And they were subject to one another. They served one another. We walk by the Spirit this way when we have the right relationship with God and we have the right relationship with the people around us. And when we do that, you might be thinking, Drew, when are you going to get to the last part of verse 16, much less 17 and 18? It's right here, verse 16. If you do that, then you will not carry out or gratify, depending on which text you have, the desires of the flesh. I told you there's no neutral. That word carry out is translated and means that there's this task that you are compelled, there's a piece of you that you feel compelled to fulfill. It wants to do that. You feel like you need to do that. Whatever that thing is, that's what it means to carry out. And that carry out is the desires of the flesh. There's a piece of you, even after salvation, there's a piece of you that's yet to be redeemed. We know that in Scripture there's going to come a time when Jesus comes back and He's going to gather us all up and He's going to give us perfect bodies. He's going to give us perfect, complete bodies that are just like His, just like Him, and He's going to get rid of sin. But until then, we still have sin in our lives. You're not bound to it if you're a believer. You're not stuck. You have hope. But it's still there. And so the warning stands. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. But if you don't walk by the Spirit, you will. There's no neutral. So if you're going to write down an application point for that first section of the command to walk by the Spirit, it would be make it a point to consistently renew your mind consistently renew your mind of how you think so you wouldn't be stuck anymore. We're going to move to our second instruction tonight about how to walk by the Spirit. And then it's in verse 17, it's being realistic and understanding that there's a conflict. So if I read verse 17 for us aloud, it says, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, if you're paying attention, you might look and say, hey, that word desire shows up multiple times in there. In verse 17, well, it was in verse 16, right, the desire of the flesh. In verse 17, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit sets its desire, is the imputed or implied idea, against the flesh. So we have this desire showing up all the time. So what does desire even mean? 
right? This desire, is, it's, it's a lust or a craving for something. So the question is not what am I craving, it's the question, and it, so the question is not that it's a craving at all, it's just what are you craving? What's the something that's going on? The flesh, that unredeemed part of the believer that still craves sin, it's craving sin. That's what it's after. It wants to do that. And that might seem like a pretty dark, scary place. If you look forward in our text, the next two verses, verses 19 and 20, you see a list of the deeds of the flesh. Remember, there's no neutral. You're either walking by Christ or by the Holy Spirit, or you're pursuing the deeds of the flesh, which are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you. People that practice that will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is not the life of a believer. That's not what they practice. That list is what happens when you're not walking by the Spirit. That list is what happens when you desire the flesh. But if you you want, if that's a pretty dark space, I'm not going to leave you there. What does it say? It says the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, but it says, and the Spirit sets its desire against the flesh. It means there's a battle happening inside of you. But it also means that you're not alone. Remember that promise of the Holy Spirit? He sealed you and He lives inside of you. You're not alone in that battle. Paul talks about that battle in Romans chapter 7. You may have read this before. I'll read it for you. In Romans chapter 7, it's really clear to see this illustration of this conflict inside of us. Paul, the apostle, says, For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing that what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. If I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. He recognizes that when he sins, it's because of the sin that's in him. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. My flesh, there's nothing good in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing that I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And then verse 21, he says this, he summarizes, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Verse 22, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this flesh? Do you see the conflict? The conflict is, I know the right things to do, but my flesh pulls at me. The desire to sin pulls at me. The commentator Henderson says this is like a lifelong game of tug of war, except it's not a game. It's a battle. So how do you win this battle? Paul keeps going in Romans chapter 7, verse 25. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. This is Romans chapter 8, 1. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are not going to lose that battle forever. A redeemed Christian has the Holy Spirit inside of you fighting that battle. He stands in opposition to that craving of sin. And Paul's command in verse 16 applies. Walk by 
the Holy Spirit. So you should know we can have victory. Whatever plagues you in sin, whatever habit that shows up and you feel disgusted by and you feel stuck in, one, talk to your parents immediately. Please, open up. Be open. Second, know that you can win. You can have victory over sin in Christ. That's why Paul in Romans 7.25 says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, because we have the Spirit who stands in opposition to our flesh. If you're ever looking for reassurance at any point in any day about how do I walk this Christian life, you go right there. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me standing in opposition to my sinful desires. He's battling that for me. And he only asks that I walk by him. And that brings us to our third instruction, which is to be reassured in remembering that there's grace. Be reassured in remembering that there's grace. And this is verse 18. And verse 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In verse 16, we're told a command. Walk by the Spirit. Like, you go and do it. In verse 18, he plays the other side of that coin, which is, if you're led by the Spirit. That word being led is passive. It means, I'm submitting myself. I guess passive is the wrong word. It means you're submitting yourself to the, Lord, to the Holy Spirit for leading. You're ready to be led. In verse 16, you're walking as best you can, depending on Him. And in verse 18, you are led by Him, recognizing that He's the one that has the right answers. His Word has the right answers. That's who I'm going to follow. And really the Word, who I'm going to depend upon. So if you're going to walk by the Spirit, you practice it with the right mindset to the Lord, and you practice it with the right relationship with others, if you're going to be led by the Spirit, you're practicing something called dependence. So where do you place your dependence? You place it on Him. The psalmist in Psalm 23 says this, says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if you're looking for a dark place, if you're looking for a spot that's hard for a human to exist in, and know, what am I supposed to do? That's it. Not many of us actually walk outside and get on the bus and are physically in a space called the valley of the shadow of death. We can feel it when life is really hard and full of trial. The psalmist is in the middle of that. David says that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does he say? He says, I fear no evil. Why? says, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He stays in dependence on the Lord for exit out of that trial. So what does it look like to be led by the Holy Spirit? I gave you this idea that it's to be dependent, but the other ideas I would give you is it's to be led by, to be guided by on one hand. Think of if you're out hiking and you get stuck and there's a park ranger and they say, hey, you should go over there. You would probably listen to the park ranger, I imagine. Or, hey, there's bears in that direction. I suggest you take that trail. Some of you are adventurous, and you might think, bears are cool. That would be the wrong decision in this illustration. Not that no illustration is perfect, but you would go away from the bears. But on the other hand, you have to remember who the Holy Spirit is. He is one of the triune Godhead. He is God himself. And so you would listen, and you would submit yourself, recognizing that he is all-powerful, and I should pay attention as he leads me. So how do we place ourselves into a position to be led? The word is humility. You be humble. If you want to write down a reference for later, it's James chapter 4. That's verses 6 to 10. But this is what it says. It says, He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, those who don't follow his directions or don't want to listen. He's opposed to them, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That is how you set yourself up to be led by the Holy Spirit. You humble yourself before him, and you draw near to him in all the ways that we talked about tonight. The commentator MacArthur says this. He says, believers do not need to pray for the Spirit's leading. You may have been thinking, Drew said to pray. That's a constant conversation with God. And you may have said, well, the command of Scripture is be led by the Holy Spirit. The commentator MacArthur says, you don't have to pray to be led by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He's already doing that. If you have submitted your life to Him through repentance of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He lives inside of you. He's already leading you. So the question that you should pray about or the thing you should pray for is not to be led. That is happening. But MacArthur says, you need to pray for willingness and obedience to follow. So if you want a prayer request, what you can pray all the time is to ask God to give you the willingness and the obedience to follow His leading. Because you're no longer subject to sin, but it's still there. You can live freely to God, but you need to ask Him to help you to be humble before Him. But remember, verse 18 says, not only it says, be led by the Holy Spirit, but He reminds you, you're not under the law anymore. This is a reminder to every believer that your salvation is in His hands and is His hands alone. And you're not a slave to your sin. You're not a slave to anyone's ideas. You are free. You are under grace. So lay your will down at His feet. Understand His word. Talk to Him often. Fix your mindset on Him. And follow after what He says to do because He's given you the Holy Spirit who stands in opposition to your flesh. Let me summarize. We've been instructed three ways this evening. Be resolute in that command. When he says walk by the Holy Spirit, recognize you are walking somewhere all the time. Choose to walk by the Holy Spirit in the ways that He would be pleased with. The second was to be realistic in understanding that there's a conflict. Don't pretend that things are just normal and neutral. That's a lie. There's a battle going on. And that war is being waged around you and in you. Your flesh is pulling you to sin. The Holy Spirit's pulling you to follow after Him. Recognize that. And then when that seems difficult, recognize and remember who the Holy Spirit is because you can have victory over sin. You can have victory over the desires. You can have victory over that temptation. You can. You can choose to obey even when it's difficult. And then lastly, be reassured in remembering that there is grace. If you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're not under the law anymore. So I'll just remind you with one point of application. Make a habit in your life to consistently remember how you are walking. Are you walking by the Holy Spirit on purpose? Or are you walking backwards? Because there's no neutral. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. And we've looked at it tonight and we've opened it up and we've defined it. Uh, Lord, thank you so much that we have the Holy Spirit inside of every believer in this room to illuminate our minds to this text. Lord, I pray that you would call us um, to, to see two things, Lord, that to see the truth of your word, that we walk on our own with all of our effort by the power of your Holy Spirit inside of us. Lord, also to see that there's a battle and that that's a reality. And we feel that tug of war inside of us. And for us to know that with your Holy Spirit inside of us, Lord, that we can have victory over each one of those battles as long as we have the right mindset towards you and we have the right practices of being in your word and being led by your spirit. We thank you so much for the truth of your word that we can have confidence in. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.